Unlike this room, our basement den has no windows. For that reason, it would make a great media room, but currently it's partially a pantry. Now, to combat the alleged global warming, we have replaced the recessed incandescent flood bulbs with compact fluorescent bulbs. These CFLs, though they have a lot of stamina and are supposed to last for years, they also seem to have a lower IQ. If some of you have bought these, you know that when you flip the switch, they don't come on right away. And when they do come on, at least these, they're very dim. And so you can see to sort of get down the steps, and you can start to begin to see the soup cans label, if maybe with some light from the kitchen upstairs. And sort of like they're saying, Huh? You talking to me? (laughs) But slowly, slowly they get brighter until the whole room is illuminated. Well, that's the same progression that we see in today's gospel passage. Who sinned? The disciples asked Jesus. This man, when he was in the womb... Or his parents, that he was punished by being born blind. Suffering, as we know, likes to have someone to blame. So begins one man's physical and spiritual journey from blindness to sight. This blind man was not seeking Jesus. Jesus found him. And saw the potential for God's power to be manifested, to be made real in him. Now you've probably seen that with young people before. Some of us have watched youth grow up through our, our church. And on, with some of them especially, we think, wow, you know, if that kid doesn't make a major mistake, he or she has a powerful future ahead. Well, Jesus saw potential in this blind man, and he gave him a nudge. I don't think it was a shove. I think it was a nudge down the road of faith by placing a healing salve on his eyes and sending him to wash in the pool of Siloam. And the physical sight that he experiences there at the pool is like when that basement light switch first flips on. He could see the pool of water. He could see people around him. He could see buildings. But his view of Jesus was still dim. The man's neighbors ask him what happened. And he answers, the man they call Jesus put some mud on my eyes and sent me to Siloam to wash. I went and washed, now I can see. Just the facts, ma'am. He gives just the facts, not faith, not science, just a testimony about what the man they call Jesus had done. Jesus was a man. That's all he could see. And that's what a majority of people in our world see. Jesus was a man, maybe a smart man, maybe a wise man, but nothing extraordinary. Maybe you agree. 
The fourth evangelist, as the writer of this gospel is called, believes that there's more to Jesus than that. And so the drama continues and heightens as the antagonists take the stage. The Pharisees. The Pharisees are the religious leaders and the law keepers. As they ask for and hear the man's testimony, these men are less concerned with the man's new ability to see than they are with another man, the one who had made mud and put it on his eyes. For this man had broken a Sabbath law. I learned that kneading, beginning with a K, kneading was one of the 39 categories of work explicitly forbidden by Jewish law. And obviously that's what Jesus had to do when he was rubbing his spittle and that dirt together. Now covenant laws like this one helped keep the Jewish community a community. When people went about breaking commands, like even like this one, they were to be punished. For in the perspective of these law keepers, it does no one good to have a rebel among us. Well, our tendency, I think, is to pick up the bullwhip of judgment toward the Pharisees. And yet we must see ourselves in them to truly apply this scripture to our lives. Unlike them, we're not depending on 613 laws in our Bible to set our our boundaries. Instead, we establish our own set. See if these fit into your rules. If you're going to come to our church, we'd like you to be clothed in something nicer than torn jeans and a sweatshirt. If you're going to come to our church, we'd like you to have bathed at least in the last two to three days. If you're going to come to our church, we'd like you to be, you know, pretty quiet. Nothing more than maybe a murmured amen and the parts in bold in the bulletin. So what would we then do with a rule breaker? What would we be thinking if someone unlike us walked in? How hospitable would we be? We'd have at least three choices. The the three obvious ones that come to mind are we could usher them back out the door. That's an option. We could welcome them coolly hoping that they'll get the hint that we really don't want them to come back. The third option would be to throw out our hand completely or even two arms in a hug and say welcome and invite them to sit with us and just plan to hold our, or not hold our breath, but breathe through our mouth for the rest of the service. So let us not... Judge the Pharisees without first judging ourselves. Well, they interrogate the man born blind first. What do you say about him, they ask. And the man responds, he is a prophet. 
Now, the man has the man born blind has elevated his image of Jesus from the last time we heard from him. A prophet is one who brings a message from God. Do you know any of those? Who has brought a message of God to you? Whose picture comes to your mind when you think about that? Some of you who are in discipleship groups have testified to how your knowledge and experience of God have been deepened in faith conversations with others. Those groups are being prophetic to each other. We become prophets to each other when we speak words of encouragement or hope or prayer, words from God. So the formerly blind man's eyes are seeing more detail as the light lights get brighter and the drama continues to unfold. Can't you see this on a stage? Next, the man's parents are called in to confirm that the man is indeed their son and was, in fact, born blind. Well, that's all they will confirm because they fear what will happen if they tell the whole truth. One minister told his congregation, Next week I plan to preach about the sin of lying. So to help you understand my sermon, I want you all to go home this week and read Mark chapter 17. The following Sunday, as he prepared to deliver his sermon, the minister asked for a show of hands. Okay, how many of you read Mark 17? And do you know every hand went up? Now, some of you are catching the punchline. But the minister smiled and said, Mark has only 16 chapters. I will now proceed with my sermon on the sin of lying. (laughs) So, how do you feel about lying? Have you ever regretted not telling someone the whole truth about what Jesus had done for you? Unlike the parents in this story, we don't fear religious authorities. What can they do to us? Your deacons are not about to tell you to stop coming to church. Instead, we fear, we fear other people to whom we give authority. The IRS in an audit, perhaps. Our friends and what they'll think about us or say about us when they have gone. We even fear rejection by acquaintances who, with whom we're face-to-face. And because we fear these things more than we fear God, even if someone invites us into a discussion about faith, we're likely to say, um, let me get my pastor's telephone number for you. Or, yeah, I try not to think about that too much. It makes my head hurt. And then we change the subject. Faith conversations, at least in our society, are not that easy. And yet, we're called to have them. Well, perhaps you've seen when the president's press secretary says no more questions and walks away from the podium, then the discussion is obviously over. And here are the parents of this man born blind, and they say, they cut it off by saying, ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself, and then they shuffle off stage. So, 
curtain goes down, comes back up. The religious leaders bring back in the man born blind and they try to get him to agree with them to condemn Jesus as a sinner. Well, the guy stands up for himself and what he believes. He doesn't fall to their intimidation. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. We sang that earlier in Amazing Grace. I like this guy. He won't let them intimidate him. He throws their petty attempts back in their faces, and he concludes with this. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The light is getting brighter still. At the beginning of this passage, Jesus bridges his didactic words with the disciples to his healing action by saying, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And as the man is taking time to reflect on what has happened to him, his vision of Jesus' identity is becoming brighter. And he's also getting a clearer image of the religious authorities who aren't looking too good. Well, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Get out of here. He gets thrown out. I can't imagine he's too disappointed. Just as we all have moved through stages of physical growth, we move through stages of spiritual growth. This man, born blind, was ready to graduate to a new level, beyond that of his former teachers, his former leaders. Now, perhaps you remember a crisis time in your life, crisis of faith or some other crisis, where you had to decide whether to stick with your old path, which was becoming more and more uncomfortable, or find a new path, or maybe... A new path was chosen for you, and you didn't have a choice in the situation. And yet we still always get to decide on our response. Well, in today's story, Jesus has taken a long absence, the longest one in John's gospel. And having heard about the man that he healed being thrown out, Jesus searched for him until he found him. This time he searched for him. He asked a question to test the man's vision. Just like when you go to the eye doctor, they give you this little black baton. I have bad vision. I don't know if this happens with everybody. And they, you, they say, cover one eye and read the smallest line you can. Well, Jesus was sort of testing this man's vision. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Perhaps the man didn't know what to believe anymore. His former religious leaders had shown their blindness, and now he's wondering who can help him make sense of his new sight. Who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. I expect that Jesus' heart and voice was full of compassion when he said, you're looking at him right now. And the man's eyes became clearer than ever. Lord, 
He called Jesus Lord. I believe. And he worshipped him. So do you see the full progression? It's like a spectrum where Jesus starts out first as a man, then as a prophet, then as one sent from God with God's divine spark within him, and now his Lord, worthy of worship. Where would you place your mark on that spectrum in your belief about Jesus? Man, prophet, sent from God, Lord. A man named Steve told, his, told about his daughter who was suffering from anorexia and bulimia and undergoing treatment at the Baptist Medical Center in Kansas City. On one particularly difficult day, she was told to drink a glass of milk, but she just couldn't. Her doctor was called in, and he sat beside her on the bed, and he said, You're a Christian woman, right? And she answered yes, and so he said, Do you remember the man Jesus healed near the pool of Siloam? Jesus put mud on his eyes to bring about his healing, but what really healed him? She thought for a moment, and then she answered, his faith. The doctor said, good, now drink your mud. (laughs) It's our faith that heals our spirits. If you haven't, allow God to break down your walls of cynicism, your walls of fear, your walls of hopelessness, your walls of doubt, and open the eyes of your heart. We heard it sung. We can experience it as well. When we open the eyes of our hearts, we really do experience God's healing power and love. Hear our prayers, O Lord, for healing and for hope. Touch us and guide us with your wisdom and strength. And in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.